and welcome to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of the UBC Point Grey campus. And uh, today we've got a pretty interesting show for you. We are going to start off with an interview with Wendy D, who is actually debuting a short film called Mind Stories at the Vancouver Women in Film Festival. I believe she's on air with us right now. Hey, Wendy. Hi, Jake. How's it going? It's going pretty well. I think I think we're we're doing pretty well in terms of getting the show started on time. Give give or take two minutes. Wonderful. Now, uh, Mind Stories is it, it operates on a fairly unique premise, as do many of the shorts in this festival. And I was wondering if you give us a quick uh, pitch. What's it about? Um, it's a pretty much of an experimental film, so it's a improv improvisational collaboration between myself and performer uh, Tara Chinen-Friedenberg. And we got together. Um, it's based on, um, or it's inspired by a true story of someone having a mental breakdown. That was the idea behind it. And uh, we didn't plan anything other than the location. So we got together. We each had the story. Uh, we created for like an hour and a half, and we had no idea of what we were going to do with it afterwards. So we created the film after we had the material. Does that sort of freeform aesthetic come across in the film, do you think? Uh, yes. It's, it's definitely, like I said, it's an experimental. It's not like a big crew and everything. It's just Tara and I. So. And you and Tara have collaborated a few times before. Uh, on some pretty interesting projects, like I've, I've just just a cursory look reveals, uh, you did some photography for a piece called Porno Death Cult. Uh, <laughs> yes. <laughs> and uh, I was wondering because this is obviously about something about you know a profoundly dark topic, and I'm assuming Porno Death Cult isn't a screwball comedy. So uh, well, well, if you haven't seen Tara perform before, everybody needs to see Tara perform. So she she uses comedy and words and movement and mime and improv and everything in her shows so she she does go after some dark um subjects but there's also comedy mixed in there because if you can't laugh about it then you know precisely yeah. that's exactly well we've had a lot of guests on this show and it's a relationship that fascinates me personally is that sort of relationship between you know comedy and suffering Yes, exactly. And in my the film that we created together, because it's stills and video, it's not necessarily funny, but some of the movements that she had done, anybody who's had a, a rough day or, you know, is like fed up with things will see some of her mo movements and get a little chuckle every once in a while. It's like, oh, yeah, yeah, I've done that before. Sort of an empathetic kind of thing? Yeah, exactly. And you yourself have done some pretty interesting projects like there's the the photos of people screaming comes to mind yes <laughs> uh, that was um that was actually a 10-year project that was in the making really so totally different than this one hey that's sort of uh, well i guess you know keeping options open and you've worked in <laughs> you've worked in film and photography fairly extensively does one inform the other to you how did you come to that well, I haven't actually been doing much in the way of film in the last few years. I did. I was a director of photography on a few shorts and um, a few years ago. Uh, it's like eight years ago now. Um, but I, I made the decision at the time to stick with the photography because it was just starting to bloom. And instead of going into um, something where I'd be starting over again, basically, I just thought I would... Uh, go into the photography, but the video has always been there. It's always, you know, it's visual and it's telling a story. So I've always been fascinated with photography, video, and dance. Would you um, say uh, video is your passion where photography is your vocation or vice versa? Uh, no, I wouldn't say that. I would say, you know, capturing images, whichever way, is more of my passion. Um, you know, getting a story across or... or, or telling a story that's going on in whatever medium, um, be it. So the video and combining the video and the photography together is what this, this was really about seeing if I could bring the two of them together um, in a way that worked and was interesting. Excellent. And uh, that's cert well, certainly an interesting idea. And uh, I, I got, I do have to wonder the idea about creating a mental breakdown within the confines of one's, 
kitchen counter. What does that say about that space? What does that say about those influence, would you say? Well, so the other part of this particular story is that it's actually my story. Um, when I came up with the idea to do this project, it wasn't going to be my story. It was going to be, I was going to get other people's stories. But um, as a woman of a certain age, I was going through the wonderful world of menopause. And so I actually had a breakdown, and that's what this is inspired by. And it, the bro- breakdown took place in my kitchen. So I, it was in November, and I would head out all the stuff to make some cookies. And I was about to make myself a martini, and I had like a Christmas movie, you know, ready to go. And, like uh, and my mood just went off the rails. That's a pretty interesting set of images right there, too. Yes. <laughs> that's, uh, that's got a certain significance to it. Yeah, it does. So it's it's really based, that was my idea. Wherever the breakdown happened, that's where we want to photograph. Um, we want to create this story. I think it's interesting, too, that in light of that sort of relationship between the story and the breakdown, that um, this is it's it's this is being captured through this performer who you seem you've attributed these very visceral uh, character to. Mm-hmm. Exactly, Tara was able to read the story and and come across with movements that totally reflect exactly how I was feeling. And I am not a writer by any means. So when I wrote out my story, I was like, God, she couldn't be able to get anything out of this. Um, but she really is an incredible performer. And uh, and it was great fun. We we went through like maybe three sort of takes when we, we created this work. And we just sort of followed the line. And then it was like, oh, okay, let's stop now. And then, okay, we got some more ideas. Let's start again. How, how so different was, were these takes from the other? Um, they each were a little bit different from each other. I think as we went along, so the, the, the film that we ended up with was from sort of the third take. Um, and I think we had both come across with, you know, the story that we really felt comfortable with. But again, we were creating just to be creating. We weren't creating going, okay, we have to tell this story and it has to go here and arc there and, like, we weren't doing that. We were just creating. And then the film actually came from just the material we had. That makes sense. Well, I can understand, too, that there's a short film format definitely benefits these very intense snapshots. And I think I actually think it's, you know, oftentimes a more uh, I, I, not, difficult isn't the word for it, but more fallible venture to try and put in um, a full story. Yes, yes, exactly. And I love I love theater dance like the performance side of things. So when I I was thinking of trying to tell this story instead of like you know a video of a of a, a typical screenplay about this breakdown, the idea of having a dancer go through motions and and tell the story that way just uh, really appealed to me, and it it truly was an experiment that actually worked really well. <laughs> Would you say a lot of the outings in your career have been experimental in some way? Uh, yeah, usually. Uh, I think it's a great thing that all of us need to do. I, you know, I, ha- I do a lot of marketing photography, which I absolutely love doing. But I also need to, all of that work is in confines. Like, you know, you have to be here at this time and you have to shoot these types of photos and they have to fit into this type of format. Um, and to, you need to have that creative outlet just to let go and just be able to um, be free once in a while and not fit into a box. And you think that keeps you on the ball in terms of your technical ability as well? Because I've, yes. I've seen your photos, and there's certainly quite an impressive array uh, just available to look at on your website. Thank you. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a long time, and you shoot a lot, and I love what I do. I'm very grateful to be able to do what I do all the time, and... Uh, the more you shoot, the better you become. And I don't think about technical anymore. I'm at that point now where I'm, I really, when I shoot, I don't really think too much anymore. It's just uh, whatever I see around me and capturing it. So the, the technical side, I, I'm, I'm not really a huge technical photographer. I, I know what I'm doing, but, it, you know, I'm not down to pixel counting and all that sort of thing. It's more about creating. Affect and mood and things like that. Yes, yes, exactly. Is there any particular photographer or style of photography whose aesthetic really informs what you're doing? 
Um, early on, it was Josef Karsh, for sure. His portraiture of everybody and anybody from the time period when he was photographing. He's a Canadian photographer, um, and he photographed everybody. His famous photo of Winston Churchill is Churchill's best-known photograph. And uh, his lighting is incredible. And back in those days, they were, you know, the big big 8x10 cameras and huge lights and all of this stuff. And and uh, so way back when I was very young, um, he was a huge influence on my work. What do you make of the minimization of sort of camera and film equipment recently? Um, well, fairly recently I, in terms of the, the field, but it's been ongoing for a while. It's been ongoing for a while, but even I've been in it a long time. So it even had its uh, changes in film, the same, you know, everybody's like, oh, digital is changing so fast. Well, it is, but film technology also went through big changes and cameras went big, through big changes before. So I'm, I'm just, you know, whatever the tool is and whatever I need to do, that's what I use. Um, and I think, you know, that with the cell phone um, photos, I think it's great. More people can take photos, more people can enjoy, you know, sharing, sharing their thoughts. Look at the, the, the uh, Instagram being so popular just proves that people want to share and they can't necessarily write or act, or but they can take a photo, and I think it's awesome. Do you think that in sort of the presence of applications like Instagram encourages a greater sort of photographic literacy? I do. I think so, absolutely. We are definitely in a time of uh, visual, visual, I hate to say content, but visual is very important. Uh, you know, there's so many pictures coming out at you when you're looking at the web or, or at anything. A, an image has to just grab your attention before you actually read. You know, an image and a, and a uh, tagline need to capture you before you actually read. Lots of people are that way. So it's pretty important. What do you think about the integration of image, both video and photo photographic, into media? Um, well, again, I've been around a long time. It's been, it's always been there. Um, so I think putting, giving people a voice using photo and video, I think is great. I think it's, um, more people have the opportunity to say what they, uh, want to say. Uh, sometimes that can get a little missed because there's so much out there, but, um, I do think it's an, I think it's a, um, something that has changed media, news media and everything. Like anybody with a camera, a cell phone can take a picture of what's going on, right? As we've seen, it changes things. That's interesting with giving people a voice. Do you think, because you're trying, you telling a story that's very personal. And yes. with, with the value of that, would you say that the, that ability has sort of, well, I guess it's definitely impacted film, but where do you see that sort of onus going, especially as people realize that they have this power and that there's going to be a cultural understanding of that? Do you think that there's going to be a need to tell one's own story, or do you think there's going to be a different way to sort of prioritize what becomes accepted in that regard? Oh, that's our question. I don't know. I think as human beings, we're always going to try and tell stories. I mean, telling stories has gone back, you know, to caveman where they were drawing, drawing on the walls. They were telling stories. So... That part I don't think is going away. We're how we tell the stories, yeah, yeah, exactly. So telling how we tell the stories may change, but I think as human beings, we're always going to want to tell stories. Um, and whether it's a personal story or a representation of, or somebody else is telling their story and you can relate to it, um, I think that's always going to be there. It's just the how the that cathartic. changes all the time. The yeah. cathartic element remains the same. Oh, absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, and that's definitely informed this. I, I one thing that I did find interesting when I looked at the photographs was you had a blog post for the new year for coming into 2018, leaving 2017, of mm -hmm. pictures of people laughing, and I I, I, I found that very fascinating, especially because one of the, the the scream project, obviously, but that was a very interesting post because, and I, we've already touched on this, but there's definitely this element with stories and with jokes to sort of reconciling the world around you for dealing with those dark things that happen. Um, do you think that there's that, that necessity is well understood? Do you think that could be more understood? And is there anything that you do personally that um, sometimes helps? 
Well, I, I just think that people, you know, again, in what we see out there, there's a lot of negativity. And I just always want to try and show the other side of things. Um, and all those people, those laughing photos are all during photo sessions. So they're all real. It's real laughs. It's, you know, that's I try and get people to have fun while while I'm taking their photo because lots of people hate having their photo taken. And, um, you know, I that is my kind of purpose is to try and get people to think a little bit and look at a, even if they're looking at a, that blog post and it makes them smile I've done my job as a as an artist that's you know getting a feeling across to people that's what I like to do all right and just to to sort of recap for our audience if they want to see a certain this certain feeling in your film which is very impactful get across to them where can they see that and when so the the film Mind Stories is playing on Friday evening at 5:30 at Van City Theater as part of the Women in Film Festival as you said. And then after that I'm hopefully going to put it out to a few more festivals before I have it online. Um but eventually it'll be online, it'll be available on my website and and so forth. All right, that's excellent. All right, Wendy, it was it was great to have you on the show and Thank uh, you so much. Yeah. Keep on keeping on. Thank you, and thanks for supporting uh, women in film. Hey, it's what we do. Okay. Part of what we do, but yeah, it's a pleasure. Cheers. Cheers. Thank you. Uh, That was our interview with uh, Wendy D. Uh, And yeah, check out check out her film. It looks like it's gonna. It looks like it's a a a powerful you know set of uh, powerful set of minutes. Um, Now we're just gonna have a quick PSA break, and when we come back, we'll have an interview with. Laura Harris, who is a playwright for, well, Brave New Playwrights. You know, the, the, the pun on that, the typographic pun, doesn't come across in spoken word, and I, I really like that pun, so I, that's unfortunate to me. Well, we're going to have her in studio uh, very briefly. So uh, just a word from our sponsors. Oh, yeah, by the way, um, this is relevant. Save the Rio is ongoing, and I'm going to touch back on that, but, um, yeah, to take a look at that because, well... It's relevant. Without the help and support of our friends, we here at CITR wouldn't be able to bring you all the great music, art, cinema, and culture that you love. Thanks to the long-standing support from the Rio Theatre, we are able to keep you informed on all the great artists, films, and everything else coming to town there. For all the current information about who and what's playing at the Rio Theatre, visit their website at www.riotheatre.ca. The CITR and Discorder are hiring a new station manager. Just asking for a friend, but if I know someone who would be great for this position, how would they apply? Well... You can email Eleanor at volunteer at citr.ca or Hala at president at citr.ca if you have any questions. And the full job description is on the CITR and Discorder website. If your friend thinks they can handle all this, then they should send a resume and cover letter to Hala Bertrand at president at citr.ca by Friday, March 3rd. We apologize for the interruption. The deadline to apply for CITR and Discorder station manager has been extended to this Friday, March 9th. Please enjoy your regularly scheduled programming. And we're back. I'm joined in studio today by Laura N. Harris. Mm-hmm. Yes? Yes, that's right. Um, we had some confusion about the name, actually. Yeah. Yeah, I've had a, I, a long, long time ago I was interviewed and they, they thought I was the actress from the faculty. Which was hysterical. I'm, I'm still, I am an actor as well, but um, I go by Laura Ann Harris because of that confusion. Well, The Faculty is a great movie. Like, it's, it's a great it's movie, a... yeah, yeah. No, she's great. I don't know if I've seen her recently. Like, I think she's been, she does a lot of work though, and she's from Vancouver as well, which well, is hilarious. Well, I, I am D beat her because I thought she was you, and I'm like, wow, that's just that's a weird set of credits. A lot of gimmicky superhero series titles yeah definitely was yeah the thing that i found most interesting about that yeah yeah totally um i'm vastly different although equally outstanding and i think well you, you, so you are a playwright for brave new playwrights i was just bemoaning the fact that that typographical pun doesn't really come across in spoken word 
And uh, your play is called, if I'm correct, Gridlock. That's right. Yep. Want to unpack that a little bit? Yeah, I will unpack it. I love the word unpack, actually. It's it's funny because I've only started using that word since I started my master's at UBC. Anyway, I have a joke about that in my solo show, um, a new solo show that I'm writing. But Gridlock is um, a play about a couple, and they are going through a time, and this couple one of which is Billy, and then the other is Joe. And Billy has decided that today is the day they're going to go to a hobby farm. And they're going to go up to Prince George and start a new life, with or without Joe. And, of course, Joe is pretty surprised about this. So, yeah. So this is what the play is about. And it's the first play that I've attempted uh, that is non-binary, meaning that it could be played by two women it could be played by two men it could be played by a woman or a man in either role because of the gender neutral names so yeah i was gonna ask if that was a pun on billy the country singer billy joe shaver no it's not no okay I'm although not i'm doing well with names today billy joel was kind of i was listening to billy joel music as writing the play so billy joel kind of in a way like kind of uh influence the show oh, cool what's your favorite billy joel song uh there's so many um top three top three i would say uh, italian italian restaurant Do, if you know that one i, or I think it's like a scene one. from italian restaurant i think is the the title moving out and uptown girl they made a musical out of moving out didn't, well they made a jukebox musical Did they? about his it's called moving out yeah oh yes yes i do know that but yeah yeah Totally. Yeah, it's, it's, I've never seen it, but I'm, no. I, I got a soft spot for Billy Joel. I'm... Oh, for sure. Some people do not. Like, I have a really good playwriting friend who hates Billy Joel, but I grew up on that music, so. Well, so it's like uh, I used to do Reach for the Top, and uh, we didn't start the fire because it's, it's yes. just it's just trivia. It's, it's, it's events that happened mm-hmm. between 1940 and 1980. So it's, 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 it's catchy. It's got a hell of a hook. But yeah. it's also, like, that, that gimmick is perfect for Reach, right? So that was sort of the semi-official Reach song in that I just, I started playing it before tournaments and nobody stopped me because they thought I was insane. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> it's funny with that song because I think about that song, they played it over the loudspeaker in my junior high school in on Vancouver Island. And uh, it was hilarious. We all, we all kind of were shocked that it was being played over the loudspeaker, but it was a fun day. There, he was trying to make a point about history, and then he played the entire song. It's kind of a long song, so it was pretty fun. It is. It's a good four minutes, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, so Gridlock, though, mm-hmm. I guess – actually, I, actually, I kind of want to know about the Billy Joel connection further, A little, uh, mm-hmm. know a little more about the Billy Joel connection in Gridlock. Mm-hmm. Like, is, is it sort of that atmosphere? Because there's a certain mood to a lot of the songs. Yeah. This... I, find him quite, I find his music quite romantic, though. Um, in a lot of ways. Like, if you can look at his, like, earlier albums, um, Always a Woman to Me. Oh, you mean Attila? Yes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it was very, like, piano lounge kind of music. Um, but, yeah, kind of romantic. And, and, I mean, it is about a couple, and they are in love, but they are at this turning point in their life, and they're both stuck, essentially. And they one of them wants a change, the other wants to keep going, and doesn't mind being stuck. So it's sort of those two uh, forces coming to head to head. Where the relationship is like, I love you, but there are some things I just can't stand about you. That and also just I I can't stand about myself. Like there's some things about myself in this relationship that I can't stand. Oh damn, those are those are the worst, you know, yeah. when you got that sort of thing going on mm-hmm. with it. And uh <laughs> Actually, I wouldn't know. Not, not really. <laughs> not really. You know, maybe a lack of reflexivity mm-hmm. there. Tommy tells me, actually, that mm-hmm. you've been involved in a lot of productions. Well, you said you're, you're an actor in mm-hmm. Toronto. Mm-hmm. And I kind of want to ask about that a little bit. If sure. We, if we can go there because I'm, I'm, also, I'm from southern Ontario. Oh, are you? Okay, great. Whereabouts? London, not Toronto. Oh, London. Okay, yeah. yeah. I like London. London feels like a smaller Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, so... Uh, I actually grew up in Victoria, and I'm from the island, and I moved to Toronto fall of 2008, and I lived there for about eight years, and now I kind of go back and forth from uh, Vancouver for my master's and then Syracuse, New York, where my husband is. So, But the majority of my time was spent in Toronto, and I focused on new play development, uh, solo performance, 
direction, clown training, and playwriting. Wait, wait, so. wait, 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 wait. We got to want to back up there with the clown training. Yeah, that's Is that right. like learning how to drive a really big car? I wish. Um, in the no, strange I'm just kidding. shoes, you know? No, it's more kind of like traditional theatrical clowns. So, I mean, the smallest nose in the world is the clown nose. Um, you don't need anything else. And that's kind of the work that I did. And, and also, I worked with uh, this amazing teacher named Helen Donnelly. And I worked with Francine Cote. And I worked with Adam Lazarus. And who else did I work with for clown training? Oh, John Turner from Mump and Smoot. So I've worked with quite a few clown teachers who are really renowned in Canada. And it's more just about finding the inner joy and bringing that out. Adam Lazarus. Yeah. That's quite a biblical name. Yeah, I know. He uh, he just did a show in Vancouver, actually, a couple of weeks ago called Daughter. That was pretty wicked. So, yeah, he's he does more kind of bouffant, which is more kind of like the darker side of clown. Um, I'm trying to think of like a good example. Like Borat is kind of a good example. Um, kind of satirical clown, but yeah. It is going to be an uphill battle to convince me that Borat is a good example of anything. Well, I think he's a good example of of Buffon, actually, yeah. Or like any of his other characters are, too. Like he he trained in um, Paris uh, with this man named uh, Gaulier, who's kind of renowned in Paris for clown and and, uh, Buffon. This is Sacha Baron Cohen? Uh, Sacha Baron Cohen, yeah, he trained in uh, Buffon in France. Mm. Okay, yeah. fair enough. It's weird. Like it's it's when you find out this kind of stuff, you realize, oh, they do, they actually do know what they're doing, but Is they're but they they might not work for everybody, and that's totally fair. Did that come across in any productions you did? Like, what were some of the projects you were doing there? So with clown work, I I did do a well, I've done two solo shows. Um, one I've toured for like the last ten years called Pitch Blonde, and then the other one was called The Homemaker, and that was more kind of a personal story or based on a personal story in in my family. Um, and I used a lot of clown technique within that show, The Homemaker. Um, yeah, it's, it's just all about like being playful with an audience, being able to read an audience and give them, you know, the comedy, the stuff, the, the laughs, and then also make them cry a lot. Like this sort of burlesque tradition, maybe? It, you know what? Burlesque is really similar to clown. I actually would agree with that. Like, I think there's a lot of clown aspects in burlesque for sure. So I guess um, with that, like, what's the weirdest production you ever did? Oh, yes. I like guess not, not, not produced, but like we're part of in general. Yeah, can't right? wait to tell you this. Um, I was in this show, and I, you know, weird in a wonderful way. I was in this show called I Will Not Hatch by um, a great playwright named Myra Rabinovich. Good start. And she's did a show where uh, a group of people on a plane crash. And they each have their kind of strange, crazy moment. And my, I, I was the teacher, and I admitted to the fact that I drugged students in order to make them feel more calm. And her, the monologue is hysterical. It's a dark comedy, but it was... Is it now? It is a dark comedy. Yeah, it was really, really fun, hilarious. One of my favorite things I've ever done, but definitely weird. Like, not, not a traditional theater show. A lot of physical theater in that. I did two productions with them. Yeah, I did it at Edmonton Fringe, and then I also did it in Toronto. I don't know if that's I I I kind of want to see that because love dark comedy. It's amazing. Then, it's a great show. Like uh, in terms of like the educational experience, well, I've been hearing a lot of discussion about that because you know the news with mm-hmm. the, the thing. I'm like, well, you know, I was kind of an ass in high school, so I kind of feel in retrospect some sympathy on the educational bodies who, you know. Didn't start throwing chairs at me, J.K. Simmons style. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And does does that does the, does the sort of inspiration there from those various things you've worked on? How does that inform efforts like Gridlock? Ah, oh wow, that's a right really now? great question. I I mean, my physical theater background has really influenced this play. Like, um, the characters go backwards and forwards in time, and so the movement is a little bit more fluid with that. And they indicate that they're going backwards and forwards in time by snapping. And then they kind of go into different positions. And uh, certainly my physical theater background has influenced the writing of that script. And and it's definitely the most physical piece that I've written with the exception of my solo work, I would say. So, yeah, it's um, I always have like a a bit of influence of movement because I'm I'm interested in that sort of 
aspect of theater. What kind of slapstick, you know, is it slapstick? Yeah. It's, it's a bit slapsticky, actually, yeah, for sure. I mean, it's not full-on slapstick, uh, but there's, a, there's an essence of slapstick and clown in all of my work. Interesting, and that's, that's, that's very interesting to hear because, you know, slapstick is a really, it's a, it's a very demanding Mm-hmm. Uh, art form to pull off. It's mm-hmm. it's universally translatable and yes. if done right. Like yeah. I've just I was um looking into um Jackie Chan a little bit ago. He's a huge fan of Buster Keaton and Harold Lloyd and Charlie Chaplin because mm-hmm. those silent films are they, they, they you don't need to know English really because mm-hmm. you can just translate the intertitles and it's really easy to do. Mm-hmm. So they have a huge following in China and he, for the Jackie Chan's an awesome guy he does his own stunts you know mm-hmm. and you have that going through so i watched like uh some harold lloyd like you know the city slicker his royal slyness and i i kind of realized that each one of these things it's a lot of effort to put together on film i mean even if the camera is static but just the effort that you have to have as a performer to pull it off oh yeah is is something else entirely oh yeah and i i, I just saw this amazing show at um the cult uh called Psst, Psst. so P as in Peter, SS, P as in Peter, SS. And it was so fun. It was definitely a clown show, full on slapstick, some of the most beautiful, precise work I've ever seen in my life in terms of physical theater. Yeah, and it's it's hard. It's extremely hard uh, to do well and to pull off, and I give full uh, kudos to anybody who can do it. Would you think that, considering your background in clowning would you say that you lean towards more comedic or dramatic styles oh for sure comedic yeah in terms of performance in terms of writing but i you know part of the reason why i'm at ubc is to stretch myself dramatically too so you know right now i'm writing a sci-fi pilot script with a group of writers and i'm also writing like a horror genre ya novel so i mean you have to stretch yourself especially when you're coming back to school to do your master's yeah, and I, I gather you've got with being in the MFA, you've got to work. Do they, do they work you across a lot of different forms of media, like to just sort of build your portfolio that way? Exactly. Yeah, you're you're doing three genres a semester. You're, you know, expected to hand in a portfolio. It's it's a lot of work, but it's very very rewarding. Excellent. That that's great to hear. With uh, with everything being what it is, so you're not in the show. I'm not in no, the show. Because, yeah, yeah no, I, right. this the is the first. Can't be in the show. Right? Yeah, the playwrights can't be in the show. But you know what? That's fine. I, I'm, I'm happy to have other people interpret my work. You trust them? Oh yeah, these <laughs> these two actors are wonderful. Uh, I'm really, yeah, I'm very pleased with what they're doing. All right, excellent. That's great to hear. And I, I, I try to ask this question as much as I can. But you know, if you had, say. Um, not necessarily unlimited funds, but if you had like this this shot, what would you want to do to sort of put yourself out there? What would be your big project that you throw yourself wow. behind? That's a really big question and something that I'm thinking about a lot. Um, there's a couple things on my mind. I mean, certainly I would I really want to get into TV writing, and that's something I want to put on the forefront for myself. But at the same time, I don't think I'll ever leave theater. I think I'll always want to do theater. There's uh, a full-length play that I wrote that I actually brought and workshopped in Bangkok, Thailand. So that was pretty amazing, and I want to do a North America, a proper North America premiere. I've only done kind of workshop productions so far of that one. Please tell me this was a clown show because if you, if you oh. practice a show in clown show in Bangkok, Thailand, that sounds kind of amazing. I mean, I wish it was a clown show, but it was like it was a it was a two-hander uh, relationship play as well. But it it, it translated re- really well, and and the audience there really appreciated it. As in translators, and you had translated into Thai or no? No, I I just mean. Again, they kind of got the essence of the show just by the physicality. Oh, but it wasn't a clown show, if that makes sense. Okay, yep, yeah, mm-hmm. I, I, I get you. That's mm-hmm. certainly an impressive accomplishment, though. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty. It was pretty rad. No, so this took you to Bangkok. Like, where, what destinations have this taken to? Like, well, Syracuse, maybe New York. Yeah, yeah. I'm like hoping the... that I do a production in Syracuse at some point. Um, I'm talking to some producers there, and. Yeah, just beyond too. Like, I mean, I'm I'm happy to meet new people in the U.S. who may have theater companies, and you know, just networking in that way. Uh, but it takes time. It just takes time. That's all. See if you can get the chain smokers involved. Who are the chain smokers? Uh, they're EDM duo. I think they're the biggest selling artist of last year, oh. like quantifiably. 
Huh. But like it's their the, the I find them interesting because it's it's sort of they made you know you know that song closer. It's uh, it's on the radio all the time. Probably it, it, yeah. Uh, with Halsey on it. Um, they 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 went to Syracuse University. Oh no way. Um, and that informed part of the experience. So maybe you get those guys on the phone. Who knows? Yeah. Uh, couple of bros, Syracuse University. <laughs> they, they are they they're self-identified bros. So there's, oh okay. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah, I don't know. They, they, they may be living – well, actually, they've kind of taken a darker turn recently, but I would oh. say they might be living a bit of a clown show. Oh, uh, really? I, I don't want to make that point now, though. Yeah, yeah. let's a... let's maybe, like, hold that off yeah. for now. Yeah. All right. And uh, just to be clear, where can we catch uh, Gridlock? Gridlock is playing at 1398 Studio on Granville Island. All right. Uh, wait, when is that? When, when's Brave oh, News? Oh, it's coming. Uh, Brave News actually starting on March 11th. And then my program is program number three, and that's playing on March 15th, 17th, and 18th. Boogaloo. All right. Um, you heard it from us. Check the, check out Brave New if you if you haven't tuned in. You know, they're awesome. And, uh, yeah, it's a great time. Head down to Granville Island. Okay. Um, it was it was great to have you in studio, Laura. Um, and, uh, well, best to break a leg with uh, – Brave new. Do you say that to the writer? I don't know. Yeah, I know you, you can say do that. that. To the, to you do actor. it every. Do it to everybody. Break say, a leg. Say that and don't mention ma- the Scottish play. Oh yes. Don't, don't, don't mention, mention that. that. Don't mention that. No. To, to do the black adder thing, like <laughs> I'm doing really elaborate hand, one side PSA break. PSA break. Okay, and we'll be back soon with coverage on Vancouver Dance Fest, International Dance Festival, and a little talk about uh, Star Eighty. Yeah, it's a good movie. Cheers. Discorder, that free magazine from CITR, has been documenting the best in music, arts, and culture since 1983. Let's see what one man over stage has to say about Discorder. What up, though? This is Big Snoop Dogg, and I fucks with Discorder magazine. How about that? (laughs) Smokey every day. Pick up a copy around Vancouver or f*** with Discorder online at discorder.ca. If you or someone you know is experiencing challenges with mental health, there are lots of peer and professional resources available at UBC and in the community. Kaleidoscope is a peer-run mental health support group on campus that meets every Monday, except statutory holidays, from 5 to 6 p.m. in Buchanan Building B, Room 307. You can visit our website for updated meeting times and additional mental health resources at the-kaleidoscope.com. If you live in Vancouver and need immediate help, please phone Mental Health Emergency Services at 604-874-7307 or 1-800-SUICIDE for the rest of British Columbia. Well, that was a cheery PSA. Um, I kind of want to start off this segment with Star 80 because uh, because that's, uh, you know, it, it, it's International Women's Day tomorrow. So Star 80 is... Uh, yeah, okay, Th- that's gonna seem problematic, but, uh, yeah, okay, I really cannot backtrack on this. Star 80 is, uh, you ever seen Star 80, Lua? No, I don't even know what it's about. So it's a, it's a, it's a movie, uh, by Bob Fosse, and that's, actually, Bob Fosse is a very famous choreographer, yeah, too. Yeah, him I know. Is, <laughs> yeah. what, actually, my favorite. Which one have you seen? Uh, um, Cabaret, Lenny? And, um, I have never seen, like, his like on Broadway or anything like that, especially because age difference and he's, stuff. He's dead, yeah. <laughs> but um, one of my favorite choreographies, well, one of my favorite musicals choreographed by him in Chicago. Um, really? Yeah. I did not know he choreographed Chicago. And he also did, one of my favorite like dance pieces is um, Bye Bye Little Bird. I think that's what it's called. It's something about birds. Bye Bye Birdie? Bye Bye Birdie, okay, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that's well. That's that's also that's also a classic. Huh, I, I didn't know he did either of those. I I know him mostly as a director, like as, as a film director. Like he won the Triple Crown. He won, I think, for all that jazz. I think he won an Emmy, a uh, for, well for different things. But in the same year, he won an Emmy, a Tony, and a uh, uh, an, an Oscar. It's he his work is amazing. Yeah. And he, uh, this was his last movie, actually, Star 80, made in 1983. Uh, and it's a Vancouver story. It's a Vancouver story about an actual uh, a person, Dorothy Stratton, um, who was 
so the story is that she was discovered in a Coquitlam Dairy Queen by um, a fellow named Paul Snyder. Um, <clears throat> excuse me. And she uh, she was based, she was she became a Playboy playmate under his tutelage, rather. Um, and uh, okay, uh, there is a major spoiler to this, but y- you know the story. Snyder killed her. Um, yeah, he, he murdered her horribly. Um, and this, this movie goes to a very dark place with that. It goes to a very dark place because this movie is basically about, um, exploitation. More or less. I, and, and I've, like, it's, it's, it's eerie in that regard because, uh, you put, you have Dorothy Stratton. She's taken under the tutelage of this incredibly sleazy character. Like, Eric Roberts, young, this is his, probably his big break as Paul Snyder. And is one of the most vividly pathetic and creepy characters I've ever seen on film. He's, he's a very talented actor. Um, and I, I, I do want to point out, his character blasts Rod Stewart a lot. You will never hear Do You Think I'm Sexy the same way again. That's a goofy song. <laughs> but this is a character who is, well, he's a, he's a literal pimp. Like, he's, he's, he's an awful person. And people get that read from him. He's not smooth. He's just creepy. And... He basically finds this uh, very sort of sheltered young woman and, sort and yeah, yeah, does usher her into exploitation. And she's not, she's not a shrinking violet throughout. Like, she kind of goes along with it. Um, like, but it's plain that he is a really malignant influence. And the other two men relevant in this picture are Hugh Hefner. Uh, in this film portrayed by Cliff Robertson, uh, and uh, Aram Nicholas. Um, <clears throat> Aram Nicholas doesn't exist, but Peter Bogdanovich does. And, yeah, Aram Nicholas is Peter Bogdanovich, uh, played here by Roger Rees. Uh, and uh, Peter Bogdanovich was romantically affiliated with Stratton when she died. Uh, and between these three men is sort of varying degrees of manipulation towards her. Like, um, Paul Snyder is both a flesh peddler and awful way to describe something, but, and chronically jealous. And those, both of those things are reflected to lesser degrees uh, by Hefner, flesh peddler uh, in a way. And uh, I'm going to call him Peter Bogdanovich because that's who he is, Peter Bogdanovich. And uh, throughout the film, you get this sort of sense, again, because Stratton, like you see someone get victimized. You don't see someone play the part of a victim throughout you see someone who has this a life that they you know to an extent have made for themselves being victimized by the people involved in that and this is this film was introduced by um by a gentleman who had actually been an extra in the film and his read on it he's a film professor at emily carr his read on it was that hefner and bogdanovich got off pretty lightly i think that's probably true more true yeah, I think that's true probably of both of them. I really can't comment on that. Peter Bogdanovich did marry her sister shortly after this, so take that as you will. They're still married. Um, okay. And it's uh, – the connection made is the obvious one to um, to the climate around Me Too and to the degree to which this is uh, allowed, you know, to, that that's systematically been present. And for me, I am not – obligated to comment on this i probably shouldn't but the thing about this movie is that this movie is less about dorothy stratton than it is about paul snyder which is in and of itself creepy but it's even creepier when you realize that eric roberts in this movie looks a lot like bob fossey (laughs) actually more specifically he looks a lot like joe gideon which is how bob fossey sees himself as for that matter does aram nichols a little bit although i think that might just be the physical resemblance roger reese played but that's interesting very interesting when you look at it this way and this is a movie it's playing tonight actually so you can hypothetically still see it if you run and i really recommend checking it out because it is a vancouver story part of it's shot in vancouver and it does deal with that it deals with the sort of transition well not really uh, vancouver to la but there is it's Really, for the the climate that you can deal with in points in this, really, 
really unsettling dynamic. And again, Eric Roberts, I haven't touched on Mariel Hemingway, who played Dorothy Stratton, because I can't ignore that there's a really sad bit of story that goes with this is that she was she had surgery to look more like Dorothy Stratton, which is very sad to, to me in general. But I have a I generally dislike plastic surgery on principle. But a plastic surgery to look like someone else. Is. Yeah. Who was. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah, um, yeah. I, 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 I don't want to seem judgmental about that because I'm not. You know that that was a decision for the the role, but it seems very kind of kind of tragic to me considering the story of Dorothy Stratton. The Eric Roberts performance in it though is one of the best villainous performances. Like this really repulsive person. Eric Roberts, a very talented actor, by the way. He's um, you can see him in a lot of things. Like you can, he was in a human centipede, like human centipede film, Nolan Dark Knight film, daytime soap opera. He has like five hundred acting credits, and very diverse. I mean, yeah, just those three. I've seen a movie where he played a talking cat, and he did the audio for it, and he's also played a uh, a talking dog. Fun. Well, sort of. He does the voiceover for the cat and the dog. Uh, it sounds like it's recorded on an answering machine. <laughs> So it's just they called Eric Roberts, like, hey, Eric, you do a voiceover with this cat? Okay, sure. Yeah. Yeah, that's um, that's something. This very dark story, though, which I think probably has become, is very relevant, is still very relevant today. Well, uh, speaking of Bob Fosse, how is Vancouver... Okay, just, just <laughs> let's end on a high note. Vancouver International Dance Festival. So, um... This is going to be the 18th annual Vancouver International. This is actually, it's happening. Um, it started last week and it's going until the 24th um, with uh, different performances on different dates almost every weekend and some during the week as well. Um, the good thing, the great thing about um, Vancouver International Dance Festival is that about half of the performances are actually for free. So really? if you love dance and you want to see something really good, um, I'm pretty sure there's something for you. Um, it is a festival that focuses mostly on contemporary dance, but it's definitely not the only thing um, that that happens throughout it. Um, uh, this last Saturday the, on the 3rd, I went to um, the Shun Wei Dance Arts um, performance where they perform two different pieces. One is Ride of Spring and the other one is called Folding. Stravinsky, right? Yes, Ride of Spring is by Stravinsky, um, but both are contemporary ballets instead of the classical one. So for the first half of the show, it was Ride of Spring. It's about 40 to 50 minutes long. Um, very simple, minimalistic background costumes. And for those of you who don't, don't know the original Rite of Spring, it's a classical ballet that... A little intense, yeah. Yeah, it's very intense. Uh, the original is very intense. This version was a lot more intense, actually. Um, and the original one is basically a ritual for like a pagan ritual celebrating spring that ends in one ballerina dancing to death, like metaphorically, of course. Um, but in this one... I would hope so. <laughs> in this one, um, we didn't have... There wasn't uh, a specific ballerina, but there was the element of the intensity throughout. It was so intense I that... It, we got to the. Um, I took a friend with me who ha is graduated in classical ballet, and both of us were sitting on the edge of our seats, breathing really hard with the dancers because it had gotten so intense. The music got really loud, and the movements very organic, uh, and we just were breathing in the same time that the uh, the dancers were breathing, and once the blackout closed curtains we look at each other and we just go I can't believe I'm so tired and I've just been sitting down for 40 minutes <laughs> yeah it was a really great experience and the interesting thing about the Shunwei Ballet uh, dance arts is that it's only well these two specifics is only 13 dancers so that's not really a lot um, but it's incredible technique um, 
and incredible energy they they put on stage. Um, so, folding, completely different. Um, it's very much on the other pole of contemporary dance. While Rider Spring mixed elements of very robotic with organic movements, um, they went with folding. It felt more like a performance art piece, a performance dance art piece, very, very conceptual than really just a dance. Um, so folding, instead of using actual music, they use Tibetan Buddhist chants. Like like throat singing sort of thing? Like, yeah, like the ums and like the gongs. Yeah, and they also use the last song of the Sleeping Virgin for Bells and String Quartet by John Taverner. But the Tibetan Buddhist chants is obviously the one that um, goes over it. You ever hear the song Pompeii? Yeah. Uh, that's that's what I'm picturing right now. The it was more um, almost ritualistic. Um, it's very 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 slow, and it had as soon as the artists the dancers came on stage, you felt that you were inserted into this kind of alien world that you and you were watching something that you're really not supposed to watch. Very almost a religious experience, um, especially because they were using these headpieces. Well, all of them were um, painted white, like in w- with white powder all over their bodies, um, with just a red skirt covering um, um, their waist down, a really long red skirt that... Um, like it was so long that like it was on the floor all the time sort of like a gown not really a gown because it was only a skirt and they were naked from the waist up uh well the women had a a covering but it was was like very tight yeah it was very tight and it was meant to be as if there was nothing so there was this unity very much everyone was the same and they were all wearing this headpiece that made their heads incredibly huge almost like very alien-like. If you picture even the movie Alien, where it's that head shape, where it's like long. The HR Geiger imagery is what we're aiming at. <laughs> but it, it's not as creepy that, because it's just. Well, like... I was going to say when you put that in a dance piece, <laughs> it's still be better than Alien Covenant. But uh... no, okay. Um, I have a better version. Um, the Egyptian. Um drawings hieroglyphics yeah hieroglyphics there is one that has like this really long head oh like the headdress sort yeah, of yeah it's like it's just a long head the one with the snake winding around it sort of like the it's like it's a crown like no the... it's no it's not it just goes backwards and it makes it's like like makes his head oval yeah oval and long and they were all wearing it. Incas used to put um, boards on either side of young children's heads to have their heads go um, into an oval shape because they thought that was more regal. Oh, there we go. Um, That's not relevant to this. <laughs> no, but, yeah. Bizarre trivia. Yeah, um, but the thing with this piece was that um, basically I wasn't expecting it. Um, after like watching Rite of Spring, it was very intense, so good, really technical, and going into folding, where there's a lot more walking, a lot very, a lot more minimalistic movements, um, and there were some. Um, it's it was a very powerful piece, if I were to summarize it in a word, it would be powerful. Um, so powerful, actually, that by the end of folding, my friend was in tears. Um, I would look over at her throughout the the piece, and I'd be like, are you okay? And she wouldn't even respond. She'd just um, nod her head and be like, I, I can't, because the tears were streaming down her face, because it had moved her so much. Um, and like I said, it felt very like a religious experience and it was that kind of show that you leave and you just have to sit down somewhere and then stare at the ceiling because you need to process everything that you saw so you liked it yes i loved it (laughs) all right so that sets the bar pretty high for the other features 
It does. And that's interesting because you, you've done a lot of dance yourself and obviously your friend has as well. So that's a very, you're aware of the technical aspects yeah. of it as well as the performativity. And the thing with the International Dance Festival is that if you don't like contemporary art, uh, do contemporary ballet, contemporary dance, it's okay. They have other things. I'm, um, for example, next week they're having the Go Ballet is presenting and they are only presenting variations. Um, variations are um, ballet pieces that are very well known and you just take the specific choreography. Um, most ballet people sort have of like performed. Really very similar to the chamber music at a company's, right? Like the, um, in terms of the appreciation. Maybe. I'm really not. <laughs> I don't really get the comparison, but yes. You're like, oh, yes, yes, yes. Very good. Yes, I'm very, very gently clapping into the microphone. Okay, that sounds like something else. Um, yeah, I won't do that again. But yeah, it's it's a very sort of... I get Okay, good. It's very good technical, points. yes. Um, very beautiful, but very technical. But if you also aren't interested in classical ballet... Um, there are two performances that are jazz and hip-hop um, style that are happening the week after Go Ballet. And everything is on their website if you guys want to check it out. So it's happening from, well, it's already happening until the 24th of March. And I would encourage you guys to go because it's an amazing experience. And it's for free. I mean, you don't get that very often. Yeah, I'm going to tell you. That sounds excellent. Okay. And uh, just... You know, if, if we had time before we left, I would really want to know your opinion on, on skating, especially with the, you know, hometown pride I have for Scott Virtue and Tessa Moyer. Scott, Vir Scott Moyer and Tessa Virtue. God, it, it, Google does that to me, too. You know, yeah. Like ice skating or just? Yeah, well, they're, yeah. There's just some really impressive No, ice skating technique. Is, yeah. is incredible. Yeah, it was, it was one, I remember we were watching that, and, like, I'm, I'm from, like, I, I've met Scott Moyer. And I'm from the same town as he is, London, Ontario. And, like, it's just an impressive athleticism. It's just impressive art, you know, it on is. ice. Uh, but we don't necessarily have time to do that. Before we go, I just want to share uh, a notice from uh, Save the Rio. I mentioned that earlier, and I'm not going to let you down on that one. They have recently broken the $100,000 mark with the help of 1,302 backers in the first week of the Save the Rio campaign. And I just want to say that from the bottom of my heart, that the Rio is, it is an institution in Vancouver culture. And I think that there's a definite issue. There's a money issue already. We don't really, that we're kind of a very bottom heavy city when it comes to this. So I think we need to put a, put a good bit of effort into keeping things like the Rio alive and thriving. So this is, you know, and I'm not. I'm not necessarily saying. Well, I am saying yes. Contribute if you can. Just you know, a couple bucks here and there. But also go to the Rio, see it, have have a good time there. It's a great venue. They've got an open. They 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 can serve booze. So that's terrific. You know, it's it's a great time out. The Rio is absolutely amazing. If you haven't been there, you should. Mm -hmm. And another reason, if you are a Rocky Horror fan like I am, is that every Halloween they have. Yeah. Um, they play it and it <laughs> is just an incredible experience if you haven't been you should definitely do <laughs> yeah that's, that's one thing I always recommend come Halloween they did Phantom of the Paradise as well this year which is a great companion to Rocky Horror it's one of those fantastic Halloween features yeah all right. Uh, this has been the Arts Report, broadcasting from UBC's Point Grey campus on the territory of the Musqueam people. I'm your host, Jake Clark. I'm Lua. And uh, thanks for listening. Uh, we'll catch you next Wednesday. Cheers. No.